This episode was first posted June 20th, 2011. This is Movies for the Blind, episode 174, Bandwagon, part one of two. What are you doing here, broadcast? No, outcast. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. First, some clarification. There have been a couple films called Bandwagon or The Bandwagon, most notably a musical with Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse. This wagon has two Gs, like the radio show that inspired it. Way back in episode 98, we met British comedian Arthur Askey. He of the short stature, round horn-rimmed glasses, and the catchphrase, I thank y'all, used by Mike Myers in the Austin Powers films. He first found fame with this BBC radio show, which was the first regular radio comedy series ever. Yes, ever. A big part of the show were sketches with Arthur and his partner Richard Stinker Murdoch living on the top floor of BBC Broadcasting House, the hub for all BBC shows, and that is where we find them in this film version. From 1940, this is Bandwagon. A Gainsborough Picture. Gomont British Picture Corporation Limited presents radio's greatest success. Big-hearted Arthur Askey, who sticks his head through paper. I thank you. And Jack Hilton and his band in Bandwagon, made at Shepherd's Bush, London. With Richard Stinker Murdoch, Patricia Kirkwood, Moore Marriott, Freddie Schweitzer, Bruce Trent, Michael Standing, Jasmine Bly, Sherman Fisher Girls, Peter Gawthorne, Donald Calthrop, Wally Patch. Adapted from the original broadcast production by courtesy of the British Broadcasting Corporation. Written and devised by John Watt, Harry Pepper, Gordon Pryor, Brendan Harris, J.O.C. Orton, Val Guest, Marriott Edgar, Bob Edmonds. Directed by Marcel Varnell. Travel on the bandwagon. Come on and make a trip upon the bandwagon. It's a wild boy. Take a trip. Take a trip. Join the bandwagon. Produced by Edward Black, a Gainsborough picture distributed by General Film Distributors Limited. One morning, at the tall cylindrical broadcasting house of the British Broadcasting Corporation, a group of men carrying instrument cases enter through the front doors and approach a reception desk. Good morning, gentlemen. We have an audition with Mr. John Pilkington. We're the six Chitterbug boys. Oh, yes. Room 23, third floor. Mr. Pilkington's on his way now. They head for the elevators. That's ten bands Mr. Pilkington's got to hear this morning. Yes, isn't it a pity he hates music? <laughs> In the back of a car. And take this note to the outside broadcast department. During the Derby commentary on National, I noticed that the word can't was used on three occasions. Kindly note that the word is cannot. <laughs> I can't think where these fellows are educated. Any more mail? Yes, Mr. Pilkington. He has a prepaid telegram from that Mr. Jack Hilton. Oh, what do you want this time? He still wants an audition, sir. But damn it, man, we've already told him he's got to wait his turn. There are 500 bands want auditions. Why should he have his before the others? Yes, sir. He says, as you can't give us an audition tomorrow, would you drop in and hear us at my Jack in the Box Roadhouse, which you pass on your way home? Infernal impudence. What shall I say in reply, sir? We're allowed nine words. Use only one. No. 
The car arrives outside Broadcasting House, met by an old man with a drum on his back and playing a pipe. Oh, Mr. Pilkenden, what about giving me an audition with the microphone? How dare you let these people pester me like this? A it? set of long underwear falls on Pilkington's head. What the deuce is this? They appear to be combinations, sir. Well, where do they come from? Looking up, Pilkington, his colleague and a doorman, step away from the building for a better view and spot a line of washing between two antennae. Washing on the BBC. Who's responsible for this sacrilege? I've got no idea, sir. Find out. Go up there and report to me. Yes, sir. Find out who's using the top floor and come to meet me in my office. Soon after, up on the roof with the washing and a garden, the doorman steps out and finds a goat. <laughs> well, I... One shirt on the line says Stinker. A birdcage holds Basil and Lucy. And a chicken coop houses Gerald the rooster and Henrietta the hen. The doorman steps to a skylight and looks down through it. What the... To two inhabited beds. Good morning, everybody. He turns to a speaker. In two seconds, you'll be hearing the time Gerald's crowing goes through an ASCII Vox speaker below, waking a tall man in one of the beds. Wake up, Arthur. It's half past ten. Come on, wake up. The tall man knocks over the ASCII Vox between them. Well, it's your own fault. You should shut up when you're told. He climbs over Arthur's bed. Come on, big. Wake up. Mrs. Bagwash will be here soon to do for us. Come on. Oh, half a minute. Let me finish my dream. Get up, you lazy little man. He sits him up. Time to do our daily dozen. You do 24. I'm a bit tired. But the tall man takes off his sheets. Oh, stinky, you are unkind, interrupting my lovely nightmare. The doorman watches them stand up in their pajamas. Oh, do listen, it's ever so interesting. They do knee bends and stretches. I dreamed I went to Wembley, and there were no dogs and there wasn't any hair. Stinky does push-ups. And instead of the hair, they had my sweetheart, Norcia. Oh, she looked ever so pretty, and she was being chased by a lion. Stinky goes to a wash basin. Well, go on, what happened? Well, that's just it. You woke me up, and now I shall never know whether the lion escaped or whether Norcia ate him. Ate the lion? Well, you know what an appetite she's got. Ooh, yummy! It's gone half past ten, and we missed the changing of the guard again. Pouring the basin water in a drawer, Arthur goes to a wall drawing and takes off real fabric on it to wipe his face. I wonder if Henrietta's laid us a bit this morning. Arthur tries to use an electric shaver. Henrietta of her falling leg. It's no robbery. She's finished with it. I say, Stinker, who used this razor last? I did last night. Well, you've done a fine thing. You've left it in reverse and it's pushing your whiskers back in my face. Don't be a silly little man. Come up on the roof and have your morning run. Stinky rushes to some stairs. You know what Miss Steck said? You'll have to wait till I change. Stinky leaves, stepping up to the roof, where he touches his toes and moves on. Arthur arrives in a T-shirt and long shorts and sleeping cap. He bends down, pretending to set down a ball. Then pretends to kick the ball, running after it. Stinky meets him and kicks it away, catching Arthur's leg. Oh, come on, big, don't fool about. How about I'll run round the roof? Oh, let me do it by myself. See how long I take. All right. On your marks. Sit. Go. He runs off, then bumps into Stinky's back. Who is this Waterson, anyway? Hello, Lewis. Here. He turns to the goat. Well, Lewis, aren't you looking homesick? What have we got for breakfast? Morning, cock! They go to the coop. What have you got for us this morning? He pulls out tiny eggs. Look what Henrietta's laid for your breakfast. What, all that for me? You naughty girl, you've been slacking again. Gerald, your missus is suffering from night starvation. Never mind, Pete. We'll put them together and scramble them. No, no, fair's fair. Big-hearted Arthur, that's me. We'll boil them as usual. Now put them in the tin while I get the sundial to time the win. All right. At a chimney, Stinker puts the eggs in a small pail while Arthur pulls out a standing sundial. Hold on. Just a minute. Wait till the shadow gets on the line. The shadow disappears. Oh, blow. Now the sun's gone in. Never mind. We'll have to sing the chestnut tree. That's right. Four verses for hard and three for soft. Are you ready? Chest. Then go, please. 
Stinker lowers the pail on a string down the chimney. The pail appears in a fireplace in Pilkington's office, or at a desk. Look at me in a cock and boot story like that. It's unthinkable. Now tell me, where did you say this lab is? In uh, this room, sir. R27. R27. Is that a studio? No, sir. It's a rehearsal room, sir. Not often in use, sir. Do you know anything about this? No, sir. We don't use that. It's used for outside broadcasts. Oh, no, pardon me. We've never been on that floor. It's used by in town tonight. It certainly is not. It's... I don't care whose office it is. I... Pilkington turns to the fireplace. What? Then goes to it. Who's had the audacity to put this thing on my fire? He listens up the chimney. The roof! As Pilkington strides off with his men, Stinker pulls up the pail of eggs. Oh, look, Stinker, my little egg's got a puncture. Is it cracked? Not half, it's in the tubes coming out. The doorman leads the others onto the roof. What's the meaning of this? Oh, isn't this nice? Mr. Pilkington himself, just in time for breakfast. Oh, and you've brought my comms back. I thank you. What are you doing on this roof? He throws the underwear at him. That's right, Stinker. What are we doing on this gentleman's roof? Well, at the moment, sir, we're preparing breakfast. Pilkington stalks to the chimney and points at the washing line. Are you responsible for that? Oh, no, sir, that's not us. No, you've got the wrong one this time, sir. That's Mrs. Bagwash. Mrs. Bagwash, who's she? The, the woman, woman who comes, comes in to help us with the spring cleaning. Granted. Who are these people? Well, I haven't a card, but I'm big-hearted Arthur, and this is Stinker Murdoch. Yes. We came here for an audition, and they sent us up here and told us to stand by. Yes, and we've been standing by now for three months. Do you mean to say you've been living on this roof for three months? Well, we wanted to be on the spot, sir. <laughs> and what a spot we're on. This is the flat, sir. Pilkington looks through the skylight. Mr. Pilkington, we haven't made the bed or emptied the old anything. Heavens, a bedroom! No, a bed sits sir. What's that? It's a caricature of him drawn on the wall. Isn't it good? It's me, Baguette. No, by Stinker. He's ever so clever with his pencil. He stalks toward Lewis's empty house. See this rubbish and clear out. Clear out? You mean leave our flat? At once. But we've only just bought a new bed tick. Get out! But what about our audition? If you're not done in half an hour, I'll send for the police. Always me prescatorial. Territorial. Albert Memorial. Isn't he a bully? Come on, big. Stinker takes Arthur to a ladder. We know when we're not wanted. We'd better start getting our smalls down. They set it up under the wash line. In future, this roof will be out of bounds to everybody. Stepping away, he bends down to find the cuff of his trousers ripped off, munched on by Lewis. Well, this is the last straw. Look at my trousers. When he bends down, Lewis takes a run at his behind and butts him into Arthur, who gets the ladder knocked out from under him. Later, in the lobby, an elevator opens, crammed with Arthur, Stinker, and all their stuff. They try to get out, knocking over pots and drawers and such, gawked at by passers-by. When they succeed, Stinker puts right a small cabinet. Arthur hurries to something he hides under a stripy jacket and takes to the cabinet. Uh, go away, you rude people. Well, we better get the small things out first. Okay, Dickie. Arthur lifts the cabinet and Stinker puts bedclothes on top. What's the matter? Have you seen Aunt Jessie's chest? I beg your pardon, you silly little man. I mean the chest Aunt Jessie gave us to keep things in. Oh, that one. Oh, that's in here. Blocked from entering another elevator, a young man rushes to Arthur and Stinker's. You in our way? You're in mine, rather. I, I want to get up in that lift. Michael Standing. Dickie Murdoch. Haven't seen you since Cambridge. Oh, you're not the standing who's always standing on the corner of the street, are you? Yes, I am. Introduce me, Dickie. I was at Cambridge, too. Really? That's very interesting. I'm the Trinity. Where were you? I was at Fairforbes. What are you talking about, Big? I was. I got my BSc. A Bachelor of Science? No. Biter of sausage covers. <laughs> I'd like to hear about that. What's your name? Uh, Arthur Askey. My new chum. Arthur Askey. What are you doing here? Broadcast? No, outcast. <laughs> outcast? Well, so long as they're not downcast. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, what do you do for a living? Oh, chiefly auditions. 
we've been trying to get one here. So that's your ambition, is it? No, my ambition is to be a radio star and have a lovely house out in the country and always turn up half an hour late for rehearsals. <laughs> me too. Sounds very nice to me. A little place where you can take the air. Mr. Pilkington's given us that already. <laughs> oh, dear, I am sorry. But uh, tell me, Mr. Esky, are you married? No, I always look like this. You've got a girlfriend, I dare say. Oh, yes, her name's Norcia. He pulls out a photo and gives it to Standing, who looks. Oh, I understand. Does she want to settle down in the country, too? Oh, she doesn't mind where she settles, as long as she can go to the pictures. Well, you have to get a place in the country where there's a picture house. Eventually, we hope to open a show of our own somewhere. Yeah, that sounds a good idea. Why don't you come with us? Wherever we go, there's sure to be some corners you can stand oh, on. thanks very much, but I'm under contract here. Oh, bad luck. Why don't you try and get with a decent firm? Oh, Mike, while you're here, I suppose you wouldn't like to help us out with this lot. I'd love to, boys, but uh, I'm on the air in a few minutes. Carry on, London. Arthur and Stinker turn back to their things. Wait a minute, here's Mr. Middleton. Ask him, he might help you. Oh, Tom. As Standing walks off, an older man approaches as Arthur and Stinker lift the chest and let it fall over. Hello. Good afternoon. What's the trouble here? Doing a bit of transplanting or something? Oh, Mr. Muddleton, we are in the middle. We've got to get all this stuff in our little car out there. What ought we to do? Well, I can't see that you have anything to worry about. I should start by getting a pruning knife and, and trim all the edges off the whatnot. After all, it's a rank growth, something like my old Aspidextra conodliensis. And cut out this dead wood. The legs of the chest. Might make it a bit lower, but perhaps some people like it better that way. No, I'll tell you on second thoughts what I should do. I should wait till the autumn and collect a nice lot of dead leaves and garden rubbish and make a good bonfire of the lot. Goodbye. I Middleton walks off, and the boys return to the chest. Later outside, a jalopy named the Askitoff II waits on the curb as the boys step out to load more linens. The open car is piled high with all their things, watched by curious bystanders. There you are. I told you there was plenty of room. Yes, but how are we going to drive? Oh, don't be difficult, Dickie. It's simple enough. You sit on Aunt Jessie's drawers and stick your feet through the legs of the washstand. The doorman brings out a ringer washer. You left this junk in the foyer. Now move along, please. Pass along, please. He leaves. She'll never take it. Ignore it. Pretend it isn't ours. Move along. Bobby approaches. Quite all right, officer. We're just loading up the car. Yes, there's been a slight technical hitch. Well, hurry up. You're causing an obstruction. Here's a car waiting to pull in. Well, there's plenty of room for him to back in front of us. Yes, live and let live, Inspector. Never mind about that. Get it away. All right. Back in front of this car. Make room, please. The car backs into the Askitoff's front bumper. Hey, mind the plane. They get inside. She won't stop. Watch it now. No wonder, no petrol. Well, where's the spare tin? Oh, it's under the luggage at the back. Well, we can't unpack now. We'll have to push it or get a tow or something. Oh, aren't you a fuss, Pop? Arthur steps around the back as Pilkington comes out. What is all this? Why isn't my car opposite the door? We've got a slight obstruction, sir. Oh. He turns to Sinker. So it's you again. Take this confounded contraption away. You take your confounded contraption away and we'll take ours. We're not your servants now, you know. Now, we're members of your public, so you better behave yourself, otherwise we'll stop paying you our ten bob a year. Oh, I don't think you're everybody because... As Arthur gets back in his car, Pilkington stalks to his, parked right in front. The chauffeur drives it away, pulling a rope tied from it to the Askitoff. I thank y'all. Who gets a tow. The fine car tows the jalopy through London. The Askitoff swerves, but everything stays on board. Later, they go through the countryside. On an uphill country road, Pilkington's car takes a sharp turn, and the back bumper comes off with the rope. The Askitoff slides down, with things falling off, and lands in the grass. 
What happened, Dickie? The bumpers come off his car. Well, that's very dangerous, isn't it? Can't we sue him for that? Take it out. Well, here's a nice mess. All our stuff in the ditch. Never mind. We'll be able to find the petrol tin now. Here it is. Arthur picks it up. Ooh, and what do you think? What? It's empty. Meanwhile, Pilkington's car travels on, spotted by a man with binoculars outside a roadhouse. Jack! What's up, buddy? He's coming. Who? Pilkington. I saw his car coming over the hill. You'll be here in a minute. Pat, Pat. Hey, hey, what is it, a fire? Oh, Pilkington's coming. Tell the boys to stand by. We'll see if he stops or not. They go back in as the car approaches. A tire goes flat. And the car stops. The chauffeur gets out. What's the matter? What's happened? Back tire's gone, sir. Confounded. How long is that going to hold us up? Well, at least ten minutes, sir. Hesitantly, Jack steps out again. Don't tell me you've had a puncture. We have had a puncture. What's it got to do with you? Oh, nothing. But I was just wondering if you'd care to come inside and have a cup of tea whilst it's being fixed. Huh? Oh, thanks. Better than sitting here. Pilkington gets out of the car. Let me know when it's finished. Just better, sir. Annoying thing, those punctures aren't the same. Hmm? Exactly. That's what I always say. Jack leads him into the large roadhouse. Charles, get this gentleman a nice table. Give him some tea right away. Come on, Charles. Hurry. Hurry. Jack, Charles, and the woman take Pilkington to one of many empty tables. Jack steps away to an orchestra on stage and directs them. Freddie plays a saxophone. They all sway in unison. Jack turns to the table, where Pilkington's back is turned, and the woman shrugs. Jack points to himself questioningly, then steps to Freddy. Tapping his shoulder, he gets Freddy's attention and minds playing squeeze box. Freddy nods, putting down the sax and picking up an accordion, which he straps onto his shoulder. He steps off stage and walks to the table, where Pilkington reads a newspaper. The woman points at him and walks off, so Freddie starts playing. Pilkington stays turned away, reading and smoking. Freddy stops, frustrated. He looks over Pilkington's shoulder at the paper, then nods and steps away, back to the orchestra. Jack gestures for him to go back to his seat, which he does. At Jack's direction, three violin players step off stage and go to the table, where they step more in front of Pilkington to play. Pilkington doesn't raise his head. Jack steps to the table, in front of the violinist, and sings. I'm a simple melody maker. The violinists retreat. From an idle daydream I take a simple theme, and out of it make a man. Pilkington keeps reading as the woman approaches in fancier dress. Jack sits with him. If you need 
song that But Pilkington just moves his top hat sitting on the table. Standing behind them, the woman bends down to sing. Pilkington keeps reading. And when I depart, I hope maybe to leave in your heart a memory of the melody maker. Jack turns to keep directing. The woman sits. Maybe you think. Rhythm is the thing for you. She offers Pilkington a plate of biscuits, which he refuses, still not looking up. A troop of scantily clad chorus girls dance out onto the dance floor, spinning and kicking and jiving. They twirl in pairs, then dance in two lines. They do high kicks and twist, several feet behind Pilkington, who keeps reading and smoking. They dance away. A young man approaches another playing an organ and sings. Hear him play, and when he departs, I hope maybe he'll leave in your heart a memory of a melody Jack dances up to the table again with jaunty sailor-type movements and calls over another man. Have you fired a song, lad? Aye, sir, one's just come. He jigs away. In a pirate's costume, the woman steps onto a ship set. When she said, young man, what would you like to be? Jack joins her. I wouldn't like to be a pirate if I can. That's what I said, said me. I went up to a pirate chief and politely raised my lid. She did. And got myself apprenticed to the famous Captain Kidd. Yo-ho, yo-ho, some kid was Captain Kidd. On the good ship called Sea Jane. We put to sea from Dover. Then the rum went round again. And we were half seas over. Freddy pretends to dip his sacks over the side and drink water from it. Spitting water. He pulls out a fish and drops it. And we even have to scrub our necks on the ship talking Jack walks off and the orchestra stands, jigging a little as they play. They sit. The chorus girls pop up on the ship singing, with the whole company swaying. As the orchestra stands, Jack steps down and makes his way back to the table. Pilkington keeps reading. Jack clears his throat, then steps around to Pilkington's other side. 
He looks up. Tell me, uh, did you like it, sir? Like what? The number we just played. Oh, yes, you've been playing, haven't you? Quite good. Now, the wheel is on, sir. There was a nail in the tire. A nail? Oh, that's funny. I only put down broken quarters. What? That's just what I was going to tell you, sir. The road's covered with glass. Glass? Pilkington and the chauffeur head out with Jack and Freddy. Let me explain. There, Kisper, all over the road. So you deliberately put glass on the road so that I should get a puncture. But we only wanted you to hear the band, sir. We didn't mean... He looks up to the roadhouse's sign. Jack in the box. Then you must be Jack Hilton. That's right. I might have known it. He stalks to the car, where his door's open. Don't think you can get away with this outrage. He gets in. I'll have you prosecuted. The chauffeur gets behind the wheel. The lock of you. And drives him off. But more tires get punctured. Jack runs back inside, and Freddy falls at the front doors. The chauffeur gets out again. And Freddy scrambles back into the club. You'll hear more of this. He plays through the window. Later at night, pushing the ASCII toss. Oh, Dickie, I can't push another step. Well, you don't have to. Here's a petrol pump. Oh, yes, sound the hooter. Seven? Seven? Let's have seven. A man steps out. Good evening. We want some petrol. How much, sir? All about a pint. I'm sorry, sir. Can't let you have a pint. All right, half a pint will do. Don't take any notice, my friend. Put a gallon in, will you? The worker dispenses from the pump. Oh, Dickie. Oh, isn't it lovely? A pigsty. You like the country, sir. Oh, yes, I think it must be the yeoman in me. Yeoman? Yes, my father was a yeoman. He used to go to bed with his spurs on. Mother used to get so cut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be one and five, sir. He's got no sense of humor. Yeah. Here you are, my good man. Stinky pays him. Oh, I suppose there aren't any cottages to let round here. Cottages? Yes, you know, with old oak beams you can bump your head on and everything you want. Outside. Oh, Mr. Hobday's the man you want to see, sir. In the estate agent's next door. He's got cottages in all kinds of places. Hey, come on, Dickie. Let's step in and buy one. What, now? Yes, I feel a deal coming on. We've got all our furniture and things. We can move in at once and save ourselves a night's lodging. They go into an office next door. Are you Mr. Hobday? Yeah. Well, we'd like to be fitted for the house. A house? Yeah. Oh, my dear sir, a house. Hobday bustles to find a chair, which he finds for Arthur as Stinky sits on another. What kind of a house would you like? All the usual sort of house, four walls and a grievance. Yeah, I, I think I have the very thing for you. Flipping through a book, the he sits at a table. Gentlemen's country cottage, two receipts, four bathrooms, 16 bedrooms, and an Italian lodger. Oh, we couldn't live with him in the house. Who? The Italian lodger. Lanciane. Now, how was you asking for this, uh, this tiny cottage? Oh, my dear sir, it's a bargain. Only 12 guineas. What, a year? <laughs> <laughs> a week. Uh, have you anything cheaper? Without beams. How much do you want to pay? We don't want to pay anything, but we've got three pounds. Three pounds? He stands. Just wait a minute. Stepping to a door marked private, he enters a room where an old bearded man stands at a desk. Aye, aye. Here. This ain't right, four and sixpence. Yes, it is. Oh, no, it ain't. When I took this here job on as caretaker, you promised me five shillings a week. I've told you every week you borrowed ten shillings from us last derby day and must stop in sixpence a week from your salary until it's paid. Mm. That's different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, how much do I owe now, then? Six shillings. Mm. Oh, I tell you what, you give me two weeks' pay in advance and I'll settle the whole thing up instead of fiddling about like this. Eh? Oh. Where's the Droom Castle file? Here, sir. Uh, why? I think I can let it. <laughs> Ledroom Castle? You can't do that. That place is haunted. Uh, people never stay there. It's full of ghosts. Who are you? I'm the caretaker there. Well, the ghosts don't seem to have done you much harm. Ah, and they go there in the daytime. I wouldn't sleep that night. 
You know, sir, I've seen some horrible things. People without heads. People with swords stuck through them. And the smell of sulfur. Dad, nonsense. You've had your money, now go. Yes, all right. The caretaker crosses the room, fretting. Yeah, but I've warned you. If you let people move in there, then ghosts are going to cause trouble. He opens another door. Heck of a lot of trouble, too. Scoffing, Hopde takes the Dreamcastle file to the first room. He returns to Arthur and Stinky and opens the dusty file. Oh, Oh, that's old world, all right. Um, Now, here we are, sir. I think this is exactly what you want. Oak beams and everything. Uh, Well, of course, it's a little larger than what you required, uh, but we'll take that into consideration in the rent. Oh, isn't he a nice man, Vicky? What sort of place is it? Well, as a matter of fact, the owner's in America and just wants to have people in, you know, to keep the place aired. So, shall we just say a nominal sum? You give me your three pounds and you can stay there till Michaelmas. Quick, be give him the money before he changes his mind. Arthur gets it from a sock. Does this mean we can move in at once? Certainly. He counts the money. Three. I'll give you written authority. Mr. Askey, Arthur Askey. Hobday writes a receipt. Received from Mr. Arthur Askey, sum of three pounds for rent to September 25th for Droon Castle. Castle? That's what it's called. He gives Arthur the receipt Thank and steps you. to a wall. Here's the key. He takes a big uh, one as they stand. Of course, you know it's quite an old place. Um, some of the boards may creak a bit at night or one or two little things like that. But remember, there's a perfectly natural explanation for everything. Yeah, I see what you mean. Oh, Dickie, I'm so excited. We've got a castle. Come on, let's go and run a flag up to show that we're in residence. Oh, I'm the king of the castle. Sit down, you dirty castle. They skip away. Later... The Askutov pulls up to the large castle. You think this is the place, Nicky? Yes, this is it, all right, bye. Looks as if the moths have been at it, doesn't it? Well, what do you expect the sweet wind butterflies? Take it out. Oh, well, I've heard about strange happenings in castles like this. Oh, don't be so childish. Get the key and let's go inside. Come on, Lewis. Stinky leads Lewis by a leash, and Arthur follows to the front doors. Well, what was that? They look up. Only a bat? Well, who threw it? All sorts of strange things happen in the country. Remember what the gentleman said, there's a perfectly natural explanation for everything. They get to the door. Well, here's the key. Open the door. No, you open it. It's your castle. Arthur steps closer and turns around. Well, you better do it. I can't reach the keyhole. Don't worry, I'll hold you up. Oh, will you? Well, if anything goes wrong, you let me down, won't you? I don't want to be left up there hanging on to the key. Stinky lifts him up, but the door opens on its own. Arthur mouths, no. Don't worry. Remember, there's a perfectly natural explanation for everything. They enter the huge dark foyer. Whoa, what's the matter? It's cozy in here. Don't say you unless you've got something to say you about. Stinky bumps into something under a sheet. Now who's away? It's all right. Just gave me a shot. Only a suit of armor covered in. The door closes. What did you shut that door for? I didn't shut it. Well, we'll have it open anyway. We must have some air. Arthur goes back to open the door. But when he turns to Stinky, it closes again. He returns to it, then opens it, glancing outside. When he turns, it starts to close, so Stinky signals for him to turn again, and it opens again. That's funny. You mustn't be nervous. There's a perfectly natural explanation. It closes hard. Stinky and Arthur run across the foyer to a large set of stairs and head up them, stopping on the landing. They look down over a railing. What were you running for? I thought you were in a hurry. Yeah. Oh, look, Dickie, there's an organ. Yes, well, leave it alone. Oh, let me play a bit of organ. Go on, you put it up. Yes, go on, put it up. Yeah. I'll play something. 
I know. I'll sing you my signature. Arthur sits at the organ. I am ready. Yes. Then go, please. Stinky pumps the bellows. Arthur looks behind him. Must be the echo. Oh, yeah. I'll start again. Big-hearted Arthur, they call me. Big-hearted Arthur, that's me. That's me. Right. Clean if I'm not very clever. Clever. But only because I've got to be. I've got tall ambitions for such a short man. The echo was there when this chorus began. But can you hear it now? I'm blown if I can. Big-hearted Arthur, they call me. Big-hearted Arthur, that's me. They rush away from the organ and sneak along the landing and run to the end of the hall and into a dark room where they close a door. Some people in our position are feel scared. Yeah, I suppose they would. Stinky lights a match. Look, big, it's a bedroom. There it is. Ah, some candles. Oh, light them. It'll be a bit more cheerful, won't it? Stinky lights the candle. I'll explore. And Arthur takes it. <laughs> Startled by the noise, he keeps walking around. Cobwebs. Why say, Becky? What's this? Stinky lights another candle. That's where we're going to sleep. Well, I'm not going in the top bunk. It's a high canopy. Silly, we're both sleeping here. What, you and I in the one bed? Of course. Stepping to a cross of two swords on a wall, Arthur takes one and lays it down the middle of the bed. Well, this is my side. He jumps on it. Oh, lovely spring. Aren't you going to undress? Stinky takes uh, off his jacket. No, 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 no fear. The, the sheets may be damp. Arthur climbs in under dusty covers, and Stinky joins him. They settle in on their sides. Arthur opens his eyes, sits up, and pats Stinky's arm. Stinky, Stinky turns to him. Dicky, What is it? Oh, there's a man's hand under my pillow. Are you sure? Arthur reaches under it and retracts. I'm positive. Stinky lifts the pillow. It's your hand. Oh, so it is. As they turn to sleep again, the candles go out. Arthur sits up again. Oh, knock it, Dickie. Don't blow the lights out yet. I didn't do it. You didn't? Give me the matches, Dicky. He does. Oh, I don't like this place. I'm frightened. He lights a match. Nothing is this frightened of? And lights a candle. Remember, there's a perfectly natural explanation for everything. Yes, perhaps the main fuse went. Candles don't have fuses. Well, the main wick then. Shaking out the match, Arthur settles in again with Stinky. Both their eyes open. And they slowly turn to sit up. Behind them, a hand reaches from the headboard. Look! It pulls back. They spot a mouse in a corner and watch it walk about. They hold each other, then look down again to find a bulge rising from under a rug, then settling down again. A black cat falls on them, then runs off the bed. They turn to find the other candle lit, then turn back to a man in Elizabethan dress with the face of the caretaker. Who are you? I am one whose spirit is earthbound. What does he say? He says he's eggbound. What are you doing in our castle? I am haunting it. Oh, well, couldn't you go and haunt somewhere else? We want to get to sleep. Wait a minute. Was it you playing tricks with those lights and doors? 
Verily, it was even I. There you are, Big. I told you there was a perfectly natural explanation for everything. But he says he's a spirit. Spirit, don't be ridiculous. There's no such thing. No such thing? What then am I? I'll tell you what you are. You're a blinking old nuisance. Here, you can't talk like that to me. I can... I tell you I'm a ghost. Then tuck your head underneath your arm and push off. Whose ghost are you, anyway? I'm the ghost of Jasper Blackfang, the miser of Troon. Oh, Dickie's the miser. Oh, I've always wanted to meet one of those. For 500 years, I've haunted this spot. What? His eyes awful. They jump from the bed. Get on from this place, ere I blast you to eternity. He crawls across the bed. I'll wreck you with pain. I'll turn your blood to ice. I'll grind your bones to powder. Begone! Yeah. Begone! When he lifts the sword, Arthur and Stinky run and are chased from the room. The caretaker swings the sword and chases them along the landing. As Stinky slides down the banister, Arthur rolls down the stairs and meets Stinky at the bottom, getting up. They run across the foyer to the door, which they open and get out. The caretaker puts down the sword and laughs. Behind him, Lewis comes around a corner. When the caretaker bends over laughing, Lewis runs for his behind and butts him down the stairs. So Lewis has gotten some back for our boys, but why is the caretaker acting as a ghost? Arthur and Stinker meet up with Jack Hilton's band and make some broadcasting history in the chaotic conclusion of Bandwagon next time on Movies for the Blind. In real life, Jack's orchestra would soon break up as more members headed off for World War II. But Jack himself would become one of the big movers and shakers in British entertainment. He produced dozens of TV shows for the network ITV, the home of Coronation Street, and produced many major theater shows dominating London's West End. He's often credited not just with discovering Arthur Askey, but also a young Audrey Hepburn. For more information and links about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesforblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast, Creative Commons License. And the movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care. Take care.